You are listening to CFRO Community Radio Station. The upcoming show, Conscious Living Radio, is a program that explores frontiers of consciousness, spirituality, personal growth, emerging paradigms in psychology, health, science, and innovative philosophies that reflect commitment to the advancement of individual, social, and global transformation. And welcome to the show tonight, everyone. It's Mark Cron here on Conscious Living Radio. And uh, tonight, I'm flying solo. Tasha is away visiting her mother back east. So today I have the pleasure of having a very special guest, uh, someone I'm actually excited to speak to because he went on a journey that uh, is something that's on my bucket list. So tonight uh, our guest is Kurt Kuntz. Now, Kurt has always been an adventurer. He learned to love the outdoors growing up in Boise, Idaho. And after a successful career in sales, he retired early to seek new meaning in life. He gave back to his community, but also yearned to learn more about the world and himself. So in 2012, his spiritual yearning found him on the El Camino de Santiago de Compostela in Spain. Um, And this long, transformative journey on foot inspired Kurt to write his first book, A Million Steps, which was a memoir that enabled Kurt to forge friends and connections around the world. Uh, One of those friends led Kurt to Rishikesh, India, where he then embarked on a serious study of yoga as a physical and spiritual practice. Uh, In Practice, which is Kurt's new book, which we're going to talk about today, he recounts his most recent adventures. Welcome to the show, Kurt. Mark, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're, 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 I'm excited anyways because, uh, you know, after reading your book, you inspired me even more to put my trip to India uh, higher up on my bucket list. How long has it been on your list? Uh, well, it's been a while. I, I had an awakening in, in 2007 that led me, um, you know, down a path of studying, you know, the yogis and traditions and practices of ancient India. And uh, I've been lucky enough here in Vancouver t- that we have such a hotbed of yoga and some great teachers that, you know, I've just kind of been studying through here. And, you know, it's always one of those uh, time and money things. When I have the time, I don't have the money. When I have the money, I don't have the time. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's something that, uh, that is certainly top of my list uh, right now is I got some travels planned. So, you know, I, I was inspired by your book for sure. So maybe you can tell tell our audience and our listeners a little bit more about yourself and, uh, you know, what inspired you to really change out of the, the corporate sales world and into, uh, you know, the traveling adventure world. Yeah, I'll be happy to, Mark. I'll, I'll try to give you this in a nutshell. Uh, I was born and raised in Boise, Idaho, and I'm currently 55 years old. Right out of college, which would have been in 1986, I went to work for a very large semiconductor company, and I sold computer chips to uh, computer companies. And it was very fulfilling and very enjoyable, and uh, I just kind of had an epiphany around the year 2000, and I thought there really has to be more to life. And I decided what I would do is maybe try to take uh, take a pretty big leap and and see if I could actually stop working. And I I did. And it's not a classic story of you know I went to an internet company and left with twenty billion dollars and I fled to Haiti every weekend. Um, yeah. It's more of saying well what do I really need? And what I needed was adventure and travel. So I started to do some uh, some big trips, and my first really big one was a, a solo bicycle trip through Europe uh, in 2006. 
And I actually rode my bike 2,000 miles across Europe through nine countries. And I came back and felt very empowered. And I thought, well, if I can do that, you know, what can I not do? And that was my first real taste of that kind of lifestyle. And then I ended up on the Camino in 2002, which is a 500-mile pilgrimage walk across northern Spain. And that really filled me up. It was very... Uh, you know, talk about consciousness. It's a very awakening type of a journey to take. And when I came home from that, I thought that was such an amazing experience. I really need to write a book about this. And I've never, I don't have a history of being a writer, but I wrote my first book, which is called A Million Steps, and that's about that pilgrimage. Well, after that, I spent two years doing a lot of speaking events. I did 150 events in two years. Wow. And through that, I started to meet all these different people. And this woman who had walked the Camino and had become a Facebook friend, just, you know, a couple of hiker liked your book. It wasn't, you know, any deep conversation. She sent me a message one day and said, looking at your page, I see that you travel a lot. You need to come to Rishikesh, India, where I am in service at an ashram and just come here. And I intuitively felt I have to do this. Uh, the night that I got her message, I tried to book a ticket and wasn't even aware you needed a visa um, to travel to India. Um, but I just, I just knew I had to go there. And it was another life-changing experience. And I've been there every year for the past four years, and uh, it's just a part of my heart and soul. That's really inspiring. So. You know, there's so much that, that you've done, and, and I, I've got a number of different questions for you, because part of it is, is about the El Camino Trail before we even, you know, go into your, your book practice. What was that like? Because that's quite the, the pilgrimage, I understand. Oh, the Camino is awesome. You you arrive in, in a little city called St. John, and uh, you the first day you walk across the Pyrenees Mountains, which is, you know, the physical border between France and Spain. And then you spend the rest of your trip in in Spain. It takes most people roughly four to six weeks to walk along that trail. And there's albergues, which are small, hostel-like places uh, that you sleep at. And the cities are really no more than, you know, three to five miles apart. So there's little villages all along the way. You're never really, you know, out in the tundra and wandering around. And the beautiful part about this trip, Mark, is it attracts people from throughout the world. And, I mean, you, you end up, you know, you have dinner at a table and everybody's welcome at every table. And you may have, you know, a, a person from Japan, a, a person from Ecuador, somebody from Germany. And, um, you know, you just really realize, you know, you watch the news and everything you hear is how different we are and how much we hate each other. You eat a meal with strangers from throughout the world and you find out we're all the same. We all have fear of dying. We all have fear that we're unloved. Uh, we all, you know, have basic human needs. And, you know, you break these barriers down over breaking bread together. It's, it's really a, a beautiful experience. And every day you wake up, you put everything you need on your back in a small pack. That's liberating right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you realize you don't really need anything. And you just walk with strangers from throughout the world. You just walk all day. And 
you know, I've kind of made that sound all romantic and lovey-dovey, and, you know, you face adversity. Well, <laughs> I would imagine off, there's your a body, lot of, yeah, the weather and things oh, like that too, right? Oh, weather, wind, you, you're tired, you get to a city, there's not a bed, um, you know, there's, I don't care how fit you are, there's a part of your body that says, Mark, why have you done this to me? <laughs> and it, it, it raises its ugly voice. Um, but at the end of the trip, it just, you want to talk about being drawn into the moment, into the now. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a 30 to 45 day walking meditation that will change every person that walks it. You left me speechless there for a moment, which doesn't happen very often. And so I guess my next question is for our listeners who don't know, what is the significance of the Camino Trail? What, what does it, um, signify? The Camino started out solely as a Christian pilgrimage, and it is believed that the remains of uh, the Apostle St. James are buried below this cathedral. So in the Middle Ages, over one million people walked from the front doors of their homes all throughout Europe. Uh, you know, some people started in Switzerland, some people started in Germany, uh, but they all walked to this particular cathedral in Santiago seeking penance from St. James. And there was no other reason to do it other than that. Today, it's a much wider group of people. There's about, there's almost 300,000 people per year that walk the trail. And there are some that are very devoutly Catholic. There are some that are uh, much more, you know, kind of more uh, uh, hippie-type, traditional, conscious people. Uh, then there are some that are just adventurers that want to try the physical portion of it. But everybody's welcome. You don't, you know, you don't get a little click of, you know, I'm in this club or that club. Um, it's a big group of people all walking each other home, and it's a beautiful experience. Yeah, I, I can only imagine, and you know, people from all over the world and connecting in such a way. And what you're talking about, like living in the now and in the moment, that's all you've got when you're there. Oh, totally. And you're, it's a kind of trip where. You're walking along, and you know the synchronicity of life just happens. And I'm telling you, if you're walking along and you roll your ankle on a rock or something, I guarantee you three people behind you is an orthopedic surgeon from the Mayo Clinic. It's just the way it seems to happen. Whatever you need is provided for at the appropriate time. And I think that transcends into your life, but... We get so much noise in our daily life that we don't see what's being offered to us. And if you can eliminate the noise, which over there is easy to do because you're walking all day, uh, you find the, the beauty of, of the universe. Well, I'm glad you touched on that because, you know, when we talk about being in the now and being present in our life and, and being every day, it's, it's just such an important part where you know, being in the West, like you say, we're, we're bombarded by so many different things. And to have that time and that space to really connect with ourselves and our human condition um, is really quite powerful. And that's you, you write about that in your book, uh, A Million Steps, I understand. Oh, I do. I mean, but before I went on the Camino, I, I read a lot of, you know, the classic, you know, Wayne Dyer books and Eckhart Tolle, and everyone says, be in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I go, well, I am in the moment. I mean, I'm here right now. How, the, how am I not here? Being on the Camino, every day you're challenged. You, you don't know what the terrain is ahead of you. You don't know what the weather's going to be. You don't know where you're going to eat. You don't know where you're going to sleep. And you just walk with the faith that everything's going to work. And by kind of being challenged and being out of your comfort zone, 
you don't have time to look in your rearview mirror. And you don't have time to really, you know, focus on the future and worry about stuff. And that's all that being in the moment is. It's just appreciating the person you're walking with, um, maybe appreciating nature if you're solitude at the time, and, uh, you know, having gratitude for just the simple fact of having a bed at night. And you spend a month of doing that, you really understand what being in the moment is. So after that experience, when I, like every other person, start to future trip or, you know, whip myself from my sins of the past, I uh, I just go, wait a minute, this is all wasted time and it's taking me away from life and I need to take a deep breath and, you know, appreciate what's right here in front of me right now. Beautiful. And one thing I really like what you had to say, too, is it's just about faith, trusting that everything happens for a reason. You're exactly where you need to be. And and trusting that is, is a powerful, you know, a powerful antidote to life and some of the challenges that we face in our world today. So thank you for that. Now, and, you know, just one, one other brief comment that is so important. Everything that happens to you. Every person that you meet, every good and bad experience you have, just accept them as something that the universe is throwing at you. So instead of getting angry and upset about a rude person in line at a movie or something, that person's there for a reason, and it's to test you and to teach you a lesson. And when you accept those and view through that lens, oh, you have no problems. If you come home from that same show and want to complain to your friends and family about the loud person in line, you you lead a miserable life. And uh, uh, just accepting everything as is, is, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's one of the quotes I I love to live by is, you know, let's turn our frustrations into appreciation and see how your life changes. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, awesome. So now... This uh, this journey, obviously, you met someone who turned you on to going to Rishikesh, India. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and kind of what started this love affair with Rishikesh and why Rishikesh specifically, because India is a big place. Yeah. I had started to do yoga about probably six years ago. And as I say on the back of the book, not necessarily for the purest of reasons. Um, I really liked exercise and I thought yoga was just, you know, I would get some flexibility and, uh, and it would be good. And, and meet and girls. I, I, I picked that up in your book a few times. And what, what was your comment? <laughs> no, and, and to meet girls, to meet some women. Yeah, I'm a single guy, and I figure it's about 80-20 in the room. And so I thought, well, if I have to go exercise, there's going to be a little advantage here. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, practice loca, I, I practice yoga in Idaho uh, for, you know, a good year and a half, two years. And, you know, I liked it, but it was really a form of exercise. Mm-hmm. I told you a bit earlier about how I ended up in India with it. someone who had read my Camino book, was doing service in an ashram, and she invited me to Rishikesh. And as I put in the book, I didn't know anything about it. And I pulled it up on Wikipedia, and it said that when the Beatles went to India, they went to Rishikesh. So I've said, good enough for those guys, good enough for me. <laughs> and then it also said it was the yoga capital of the world. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. And I've always heard of India being really you know, populated. They have you know, 1.3 billion people in these gigantic cities. This particular city, Rishikesh, has roughly 100,000 people. 
So I didn't feel it would be really overwhelming. And so I decided to go. It's also a holy city, and what that means in India is there's no alcohol and there's no meat products of any type. Wow. Obviously, they, they don't eat cows in the country, but mm-hmm. they do have chicken and fish in you know, some of the other cities. But in Rishikesh, it's all vegetarian. And I, I just went there, and I moved into the ashram, and my first trip was for five weeks. And it was just amazing. I mean, I, I like the Camino. I met all these people. And the yoga over there is taught so much different than it is in the West. Um, I think in the West, it's it's much more about, you know, firming your body and looking good and, you know, and me chasing women or something. And uh, over there, it's all internal. Mm-hmm. And I think the simplest deal, when I started, I had no idea that a flexible body could turn into a flexible mind and the flexible mind is the goal of yoga it's not mm-hmm. the body at all yes yes and there was in my studies with yoga as well was the um you know the fact that yoga really means union of mind body and spirit and you know vancouver is a hotbed of yoga here too and we've got a, a quite a mix of different you know styles and, and practices and, and one thing that comes up often is you know a lot of our western yoga is like you were saying it's about striking that pose and doing it right versus really tuning in to our inner selves and our spirit oh yeah it's very different i mean you know they have you know power yoga and weightlifting yoga and you know a great yoga that's 35 minutes so you can do it during half your lunch and still you know follow your twitter account or something and over there my favorite one of my favorite teachers who I did my 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 teacher training with his class typically lasts about 2 hours mm-hmm. we do probably throughout that time there's some repetition but you really do about 10 poses in that two-hour period, and you hold things for much longer periods of time. And then the shavasana, the corpse pose at the end of every course, which I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with, the shavasana is 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and that's kind of what the whole thing's about. And it's not, you know, you're, it's, you're just walk through a meditation of, you know, don't compare yourself to other people, go inward, stillness in your body, calm your body, calm your mind. And it's all about, just like the Camino, pulling your life into the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's where everything happens. And once you, once you get a taste of it, it's like a heroin. Uh, you, you, you have to get some more. And uh, it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah, I, I know throughout my experience, and, and like I was sharing with you earlier about, you know, a, a huge awakening I had in 2007 was through an ancient Indian meditation called a Chakra Dhyana. And uh, it was really quite powerful, and it just opened up my eyes to what it's really about in the history and the lineage. And, you know, it got me turned on to books such as Autobiography of a Yogi and Science of Self-Realization, oh, yeah. and it just took me away. I'm fascinated. And that was one of the questions that I had for you is because, you know, you, you so... Uh, one of the things I loved about your book is it was like a casual stroll through Rishikesh with you every day, you know? Um, and and I really enjoyed that. 
my question was, you didn't talk, you, you know, you talked a lot about your yoga classes, your yoga training and the ashrams, but there was nothing, you, you didn't really touch on, you know, those authentic yogis who, you know, have those magical yogic gifts. Um, did, did you have a chance to connect with any of those guys and, and do any work with them? Oh, absolutely. Uh, again, this place is called the yoga capital of the world. Mm -hmm. And you can just put your mat on your back and, you know, walk down a block of a street and there's three places to do yoga. And I, I think some of the greatest teachers in the world are there. And there's one man in particular uh, that I think about. Um, he studied under a yogi who, who lived to be almost 105 years old. Wow. And uh, he has an incredible yoga school. My particular teacher, who is Surrender, Surrender Singh, mm -hmm. uh, he's a world-class, just well-known throughout the world, and probably the most humble human being I've ever met. Uh, just pure joy. Um yeah, these are, are world class yogis that, um, oh, that, I mean, at the end of my teacher training, Surrender asked all of us, he said, How many people have been to Rishikesh before? And about half of the class raised their hands. He said, How many people that are in this room right now feel like Rishikesh is their home? And 100% of the people raised their hands. He said, It's very common. And what you're finding here is the ancient yogis, their souls never leave this area, and yeah, they're exactly. still meditating. Mm -hmm. They're still meditating in these Himalayan mountains, yeah. and your yogi soul has simply been called home, which is why you're here. And, I mean, I just get goosebumps telling that story. It, it makes so much sense. For some people who go to Rishikesh, they don't feel it. But if it's your calling and you go there, you will never feel more comfortable anywhere. Well, you're certainly inspiring me to go to Rishikesh because I always go, where do I go in India? You know, where, where's that place going to be? Because I know there's a oneness university in Chennai and there's yogis all over the place. Um, so it's like, hmm. So now you've inspired me to put Rishikesh on the map. Absolutely. And and the it other, is, the, the other okay. thing you said was <laughs> sorry, the Beatles ashram. You know, you got me there. I've been a Beatles fan forever. And the work that they did with, um, you know, the Maharishi there and, and you know, what profoundly changed within them as people and their music was you know you could see it just through history oh the i mean this ashram is literally about one mile away from parmarth nikaton which is the ashram that i stayed at nice they wrote most of the songs of the white album while they were came there from rishikesh yeah and then george harrison i really believe He's the guy that really, really got into meditation. Mm -hmm. And he kind of brought it back to the United States and made it where it's okay to meditate. And I believe he led the revolution in the in the U.S. of, of, of transcendental meditation. Oh, absolutely. And all yeah, of yeah. that, all of that was learned right there a mile away from Parmarth. And there's some sacred scent left behind that is uh, just walking around those grounds. It's like, oh my gosh, is this, are you kidding me? And another quick point, the location, it's on the Ganges River, which the Indians and, and myself refer to as Mother Ganga. Mm -hmm. That river is roughly 1,500 miles long and unfortunately becomes a very polluted body of water. 
at Rishikesh, it's roughly 30 miles from the headwaters. So it's very clean and pure and, and stunningly beautiful. I've never seen a body of water like this, and it's a holy river, and it's just a work of art and beauty to 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 meditate and do yoga on the Ganges. It'll change your life. Nice, I, I, I love it. And you know, when you talk about George Harrison, it was really inspiring to me as I was, you know, I just read it whole bunch of books I could get my hands on and one was uh, Chant Your Heart Open where Prabhupada was talking about George Harrison and the work that they had done you know just with the Hare Krishnas and, and bringing all of that uh, you know to what it became in the late 60s early 70s oh yeah it's it's amazing and it, it all it all ruminates from that area yeah very, very uh, powerful, powerful land, India. And a lot of rich history, oh. for sure. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, a lot of people, and a common question I have is they go, well, how do you deal with the poverty? And the poverty is overwhelming. Uh, it really is. I mean, most families live, uh, you know, three generations in a home. And a home may have three rooms, and those rooms being, you know, 10 by 12 or something. They're not you know, large and this and that. And while there is obvious poverty, they're so rich, they they have nothing and need less. And, you know, it's it's like over here, you know, you're you're poor because you don't have an iPhone and over there you're you're poor because you're addicted to one and yeah. you don't have a family <laughs> and you don't have uh, you don't have gratitude. And it's just part of the Indian upbringing to, uh, you know, to treat people well and to be kind. And they're just wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah, their, their um, spirit is so just many. so calm and loving and welcoming and accepting. And it, it makes me think of a part of your book you were talking about where you were invited to uh, one of your friends who you had made um, for dinner. And you were actually, I think it was a late lunch or something, and you're actually eating on their bed, and you were like, is this where you guys sleep too? You know, you eat and you sleep, you're all in that it. same place. And they're happy and loving and welcoming you in where you would think about that here in the West. It's not where you take someone to, <laughs> as a guest to go eat eat on your bed, right? Yeah, we were we were literally having, first off, eating a meal on somebody's bed is quite odd. And Don't spill. You know, that's where they that's where they eat and that's where we ate and they they put newspaper out. That's all it was to cover up the, the bed sheets. And as we're sitting there, they have two children, a little girl who's uh, I think Navia was three and the son Omkar is I think he was fourteen or somewhere around there. And before I had before I knew it was a three bedroom house, I had just assumed there were more rooms. And so I asked, I go, where do the kids sleep? And his response was puzzling. He goes, well, I don't understand your question. And I go, well, my question's easy. Where do the children sleep? And he goes, you mean the order? He goes, usually my angel Navi is next to me, but sometimes it's Omkar. And I go, wait a minute. You're telling me everybody sleeps in this bed? He goes, of course they do. It's my family. I mean, can you imagine that in, in, in anywhere you've been? Well, here, here, mom, here in North America, mom, you're going to be going to jail. Yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> and here's a family that just, you know, of course they sleep. Uh, you know, they're just, it's that's the way it rolls. Beautiful. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and, I love and it. here I'm sitting there eating food on this bed that is for the entire family. And so humbling, too. Just imagine, 
try to walk yourself through this, Mark. Think about a room that size. And I'm sitting there from my perspective of having way too much and just looking at a closet. If your room is very small and you have four people living there, your closet is like a shoebox. Mm-hmm. And you realize that that's, that shoebox contains all the clothes for four people. And I'm telling you, you couldn't fit your shoes in there. Well, it's um, certainly yeah. a different life. I mean, it's life. bigger than that, but yeah, yeah, no, very, I, very tiny. What a different life yeah. than what we live here. So right now, Kurt, we've got to take a little break. We're going to play a, a track of some music from our good friend, Shine Edgar. He was our uh, opening track, which was called Digin the Middle East. That's just one of my favorite uh, songs on the CD. And uh, we're going to play another one here. And we'll uh, we'll be right back with Kurt Coots. Coots, sorry.
And we're back. Uh, this is Mark Curran. You're listening to Conscious Living Radio on 100.5 CFRO in Vancouver, Co-op Radio. And today our guest is Kurt Kuntz. And Kurt is the author of a book, uh, Practice. I'm showing that up to our camera here so our Facebook Live viewers can see. It's a, it's a great book about his journey through uh, Rishikesh and uh, his yogic path. So welcome back, Kurt. It's nice to be back. Great. Well, I, I've really been enjoying our, our first half of the conversation. Uh, now let's dig a little deeper. Um, one question I have for you, and it's kind of a little little crazy, is, you, you know, you met so many great people there, and you met one woman who turned you on to go to Costa Rica, and uh, she hid a little sh- something for you in, in one of the trees that were numbered on the beach there, and uh, her name was Kim, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. So, whatever happened to her? You know, you mentioned her, you got all excited. I, I thought, next thing you know, he's going to be dating and getting married or something. <laughs> You know, it's just another one of those stories about the the universal flow of life and how beautiful it can be if you open yourself up to things. Uh, I made a Facebook friend quite a long time ago with this woman, uh, Soulful Road is her name. And we seem to be kind of hopscotching around the world, uh, kind of a little bit behind each other. Um, I'd walk the Camino. She had walked the Camino. Uh, She was in Costa Rica, and I had some interest in going there. And so I asked her, where do you stay and, you know, what's a good place to go to? And she kind of gave me some guidance and said, I think you should really come here. And I hadn't decided I would go. And she she said, well, I've left something for you here. And probably four months later, I did end up there and she had left. She was gone. And what she did, she left me her scallop shell, which is a very important uh, uh, treasure that people bring back from the Camino. And she hid it in a tree on the beach, uh, which is amazing that, I mean, who leaves a, a gift for a stranger who may not go to a third world country in Central America to possibly pick it up? And, and I got there and I found it. Yeah, After I, I love the story. Left- uh, it was a great story, and, and I like what she said. I just want to interject one moment is when you kind of asked for a map where the tree was, and she said, hey, you got to find it. <laughs> yeah, here, I'm in the jungle, and, and she, she <laughs> earlier, she, she, she sent me a, a photograph and said, this is your tree where this gift is. And I got down there, and I sent her a note. I go, okay, I'm in, I'm in Nassar, Costa Rica. Where's my tree? And she, where's the map? And she goes, if you need a map, then you're not supposed to find it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) And then I noticed that along the beach, these trees are numbered, and I believe it's for the surfers to have a point of reference Ah. to where they're going into. And so I walked down and found tree number 87, and I, I got my gift, and I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, that was that, that was just a great story. I, I really appreciated the the connection of two people who hadn't even met, you know, and and the uh, sharing that, that you guys had uh, had had taken on. Yeah, it's fantastic. So let me ask you, Kurt, did you have like a, a <clears throat> when you were there doing all your yogic practice and and teaching training, did you have any kind of like major awakening, a, a major shift that you go, oh my god, that's that was the moment that changed everything. No, I, I, I didn't have that, and I've never had it anywhere. Um, you know, on the Camino, you don't get to mile number 208, and there's a little box buried in the ground that says, 
okay, here's the answer to everything. Mm-hmm. And that never exists in life. You're, you're always a student and you're always learning. What I found is that every time I, I did the Camino twice and you can't do your second Camino until you've done the first one. <laughs> I've now been to Rishikesh four different times and each layer, I just go a little bit deeper and your accumulated experience and knowledge really tends to reduce your fear. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time I went to Rishikesh, I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I have to be so careful on the food I eat. I have to be so careful about this. Somebody's going to take my money. I'm going to be taken advantage of. And you just have all these crazy thoughts in your head. Second time, you don't have those thoughts because you know everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And that allows more space for more good things to happen. And, uh, oh, my gosh, the, the difference between the first trip and the fourth trip are earth-shattering. They have shaped my soul and my life, um, but it wasn't an epiphany moment. Uh, it's it's all more of, uh, let's just call a drip of water that comes down on an iceberg, mm-hmm. and it slowly melts away the edges and corners. That's what my four years over there, and in the four years, I've been there a total of six months. Um, each year has been six weeks, so I, I've spent a lot of time there, and I'm going back this year. Um, can't wait. So in that experience then, after going four times in six months, how do you feel that that's expanded your consciousness? If you didn't have a, like a major awakening, uh, how do you feel that it's expanded you know, the consciousness part of yourself? Oh, that's, I, 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 it's, that's a very easy answer. When I'm over there, I mean, first off, I do yoga every single day. Mm-hmm. And so I spend two hours with Surrender, my, my guru, and... I'm reminded for two hours per day that the only thing that matters is stillness in your body and stillness in your mind. And the, the constantly being reminded to calm your mind down is brilliant. And you can then take that when you're in a chaotic situation, you can go, wait, I've created this island of calmness that is inside of me that I can always go back to. So I learned that over there. The second thing is every day I'm there and I try to incorporate this into my life here, I have zero expectation for what will happen. I don't know who I will meet. I don't know. I don't like say, okay, I'm going to be in Rishikesh. I'm going to do this on day one, this on day two. I just wake up and go to yoga. And before I know it, it's time to go to bed. And there's no television or bonbon eating. Uh, life just happens. And that story we talked about earlier of every event that happens, uh, I just accept it that it's supposed to happen. So the person I have coffee with, the person I have lunch with, the sunset I watch, the person that says, hey, do you want to take a side trip? Um, I just go with the flow. And, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. And, and in your book, you have a lot of beautiful stories of just going with the flow. And, you know, that one you're talking, I can't remember where you were going, but you're going to a festival and it should have only taken a few hours. But, you know, next thing you know, it's a 24-hour trip. <laughs> I think it was my I think it was my second night in India, and these people came into the ashram, and my friend you know was in service there, and they said, "Hey, there's two seats on this trip. Do you want to go?" And my first question to my friend, I go, "How far is it?" And it was roughly 200 miles. And I know travel slow in India, but I said, "Count me in. 200 miles road trip. Let's do it." And I think it was 8:30 at night, and we we left at 10:30 at night, and. 
I think it took us 16 hours to get there. It was uh, 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 one, but no, two buses and one train ride. And I just had no idea it would it would be that kind of experience. But again, once we're locked in, what do you, you can't fight it. Um, you know, I can't sit on a bus knowing I have five hours ahead of me and go, I don't want to be here. I mean, mm-hmm. I am there. Yeah. And it's just an opportunity to make the best of that situation. And I ended up, you know, meeting people I never would have met. Um, this whole journey is probably, yeah. now that you bring it up, probably one of the more memorable experiences of my, of all the trips to India. Oh, is that right? Fantastic. So, you know, you met so many fantastic people, not just, you know, people who live there in India and, and the, the locals from the eateries and the different shops that you visited, but you also met a lot of great people from around the world. So how do you think that, um, you know, that changed your life and maybe the impact, you know, because you were dubbed USA by one of your friends. Um, how do you think you, you know, the, the impact you left on them? Oh, I think it's, uh, I hope it's uplifting. I, I, I've been fortunate in my whole life to have a, a pretty positive outlook on things. And I I hope that that lifts people up somehow. Um, I, I tend to see a lot of positive. And so I, I hope that happens. The connection idea is just amazing. Um, you know, in this particular book, the first thing I did after I wrote it is I bought a thousand copies of my own book and I mailed them out to yoga studios throughout the United States. And I didn't do it with a, Hey, you owe me, uh, you mm-hmm. know, here's a book here, you know, rewrite 10 reviews. I just said, here's a book. I hope you enjoy it. If it's meant to be well read, it will be. And one of the women that received the book, uh, I've had many people have contacted me, but one in particular, she said, would you have interest in doing a retreat in Rishikesh next year? And I said, absolutely. It would mean with you? And she goes, yeah. And same deal. I use my intuition to say, this woman has reached out to me. I've never done a yoga retreat in my life. She has done quite a few of them. So she knows the mechanics of that side of it. I know where to go in Rishikesh. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take 10 people there uh, in, uh, in November of this upcoming year. And I'm going to share all of the the experience that I've had over the past four years uh, with a, a lot of yoga in between the, the events. And so I, I'm kind of giving you a long answer, but how does it connect? It just keeps connecting. Uh, I, I, could, I, could t- I could talk on this show for 10 hours of human moments of people I've met as a result of just being open. And I think one of my buddies is staying with me um, for a couple days, and his wife gave him a pass to come out and hang out with me. <laughs> and this morning, this morning we're having coffee, and he goes, what were you doing this morning? You were in your office, and you were doing some stuff. And I think this morning I, I spoke with a woman from South Africa. I spoke with a woman who is a friend of mine in Australia who's speaking at a forum in New Delhi today, and it's her first trip to New Delhi. And so I tried to help her, you know, tell her what to expect a little bit. And then uh, uh, several of my friends in, in Costa Rica uh, contacted me about some other stuff. And, I mean, it's just, a, you know, a morning. and Just opens up the I've world. Talked to, yeah. I've talked to three continents this morning. And that's pretty much a daily event um, with a lot of these people I've met. And um, 
and all these communities, I, I'm really fortunate to have a good group of friends, and nobody fits a mold. It's not like all of my friends are, you know, this color, this weight, or this economic status. I got the hodgepodge of the podgies, man, and uh, uh, I love everybody. Um, it's really fortunate. So, within, you know, we've got about 10 minutes left, and uh, what I'd like to give our listeners is some inspiration or, or something that, you know, drives them or leads them to looking into maybe yoga or traveling to India. So what would, if you had to just leave people with one solid uh, experience or what you got from uh, your time in India, what would you say that is specifically? The biggest thing I think I've, I've, I've received out of India is an incredible appreciation of gratitude. When you're around a group of people that has so much less than you, but has so much more than you, you really begin to realize how insignificant stuff is and how stuff is much more of a weight on your back than an accelerant to get you to go where you need to go. And so instead of working 20 million hours per day so you can get a better car so that down the road you'll get a better girlfriend or boyfriend and more status and better friends and maybe some health and fitness down the road that's a hamster wheel to get on that never works it's a it's a rigged game where the game always ends up where the happiness comes later and that's a big pile of crap. The happiness needs to come now, and the happiness is in every single moment. Mm -hmm. And if you can learn to find that happiness, which I believe the Indian people have found, and start to incorporate that in your life, you realize you don't need all this other, none of it comes external. It all comes from inside. And that is the gift that India has, has blessed me with. That's very beautifully said, and it, it's been part of my experience and just in, in the practices that I enveloped as well, where, you know, all of a sudden you just, it, it's that appreciation, that gratitude that, you know, it's not about stuff anymore. Yeah, I mean, I do know some people that have a lot of money, and I, I think they're the most unhappy people I've, I've, I've ever uh it doesn't solve problems. It, I think, you know, obviously everybody needs food and everybody needs shelter. Absolutely. So you can't live on magic fairy dust. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're, you know, Surrender told a story that I really love. He, he really said, if you ever really want to know who your best friend in life is, it's your breath. Mm -hmm. And he said, your breath is there on day one and your breath is there on your last day. It never asked anything. You know, your body says, I need food, I need sleep, I need sex, I need exercise. It's needing stuff all the time. All your breath does, it sits there silently behind you, and it's giving, and it's giving, and it's giving. And think about that. When you say, I don't have anything, <laughs> you get a little gratitude for your breath, and well, you're, uh, you're on a, a nice track. Well, and breath is life. Right, uh, prana. Yeah, absolutely. And and the one thing I'd like to just say about breath that you know I've I've learned over time, and it's something I changed over a number of years because it took a lot of time to 
recondition myself. And it's about the way we generally breathe in the West, right? You know, it's all the short and shallow. We're not taking those deep yogic diaphragmic breaths to really super oxygenate our body. And, and I think one of the things that we're starved for um, in, in our world today is, is breath. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice, deep, long breath, appreciation, feeling it going into your body. It will draw you again into the calmness that lets you shut off all the worry that, you know, it's just fear that lives in your mind. Yeah. Um, it'll take it to your heart, out of your head, into your heart. The longest journey you'll ever take. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, and and I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate the uh, you know your example of of the Indian people, and it's you know you can there's a science to success to achieve and accumulate anything we want, but there's an art to fulfillment that you know if you don't have that success and achievement, you know, is somewhat empty. Oh, it does nothing. And, you know, at the beginning of this, you said something about, you know, you wanted to go to these places. And it's a really, you know, on the Camino, a lot of people, they'd say, I want to go walk the Camino. And I'd say, great, when are you going to go? And people, they, I'm in three years. Once my kids are out of school and this and that, that three years is going to happen. It never happens. Mm-hmm. And I guess the point is, there's never a point in time in your life where, your bank account, your spouse, uh, your children, your responsibilities say, hey, Mark, why don't you go to Spain and uh, saunter along for six weeks and, you know, just see how that works out for you. We all want you to do that. There Mm -hmm. will always be something holding you back. And it's almost like that faith. You just sometimes have to leap and worry about how much water's in the pool in midair. And, you know, how do you walk a Camino? Well, you got to book a plane ticket. And once you get there, you got to start walking. It's one step at uh, a time. So, yeah, when you break it down into the simplistic stuff, it, uh, it it works out better. And I'm telling you, for anybody listening, travel will change your life. It brings you out of your comfort zones, and that's the only place you can grow. And so travel often and travel everywhere you can and let everyone that crosses your threshold into your life and uh, it, it's you'll you'll really expand and and appreciate and, and be thankful and help everybody you can help everyone that you come across. That, that's um, really and, really well said because you know travel in my experience is one of the great ways to be in the now. Yeah, and it sounds like we travel in a similar. I mean, going to Hawaii and staying in a you know five star resort and you know drinking margaritas all night and you know eating big gluttonous meals that's not my idea of travel no. going to india and the ganges river and tramping where paul and ringo made the white album and listening to hindu ceremonies with fire and taking yoga from the world's greatest yogis um holy macaroni you know walking along the camino and you know meeting someone who has stage four cancer and has three weeks to live and they're out there walking uh that's a human that will move your mountain of life you know waking up hungover in a five-star hotel 
doesn't do much for me. Yeah, no, that, that's not exactly travel. That's not my idea of it either. So <laughs> be, before we wrap up, I, I've always asked one question for, for Tasha, but before we do that, I just want to let our, our listeners know that if they um, if they want to get a hold of you or learn more, uh, we've posted it all on our website at ConsciousLivingRadio.org. And Kurt, if you'd want to maybe say a few words of how they can get a hold of you and, and you know what, uh, what you've got moving on in the future. Yeah, I would love to. I, I do have a website, and it's kurtkuntz.com, and that's K-U-R-T-K-O-O-N-T-Z.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook, and I respond to everything. Uh, my email's on my website, and my, my mobile number's on the website. Um, so anybody that ever wants to call me, uh, that number's 208 345 uh, I answer it, and I'd love to talk to anybody with any questions. Um, then the other one is my book is available on all of the uh, Amazon and iTunes and the Nook and uh, other, you know, traditional places. Um, the title practice, unfortunately, I believe there's uh, about 400,000 things under Amazon that come up under that. So if you're looking for my book, you need to put my name. You put practice and then just Kurt, K-U-R-T, and it'll pop up. And uh, uh, it, the cover will jump out at you at that point in time. So anybody wants to call, email, Facebook friend me, um, uh, please do. I, I love to meet people all the time. I, I love how you make yourself so available. Now, the, the last question that I have, and this is one of Tasha's questions, and I always ask it in, in her absence, is, uh, Kurt, what is your wish for the world? My wish for the world is everybody would drop their focus on problems and put their focus into gratitude and uh, and just stay in the moment. Um, there's there's so much noise and so much stuff that you have zero control over. And uh, what you do have control over is your interior feeling and towards things and your reaction to things. And there's so much goodness out there that uh, get this poisonous bad stuff out of your life and 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 dive into the nectar of greatness that is uh, present every day, every moment. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Kurt. Thanks for joining us and and taking your time to share with your travels and your adventures uh, on our show. And uh, we're going to sign off with a, a tune from our friend Jai Gopal, Wendy Kobina Damas. And it's kind of fitting because it's some uh, ancient mantras from ancient India. You've been listening to Conscious Living Radio here at 100.5 FM CFRO in Vancouver. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week.
pensar 